We're going to be in the book of Acts this morning as we continue in the city on a hill and talking about the butterfly effect. The butterfly effect. Now, you have probably heard about the butterfly effect. Let me just give you a little background. Edward Lorenz, who was a physicist at MIT in the 1960s, devised a program that at least in theory could calculate weather patterns. One day he made a mistake and he intended to type a number into the computer with six decimal points, but he only typed in three. And in doing so, he discovered that a tiny atmospheric disturbance in Peking, no greater than the beat of a butterfly's wing, should in a week or so give rise to a force of a force 12 hurricane in New York City. And so his discovery was called the butterfly effect. Here's how it's defined. Even tiny unobservable disturbances can generate momentous meteorological consequences and thus render precise long-range weather forecasting difficult and also theoretically impossible. That just blessed you, didn't it? <laughs> what in the world does that mean? It means that everything has consequences. Right. We have seen this week the consequences of evil unchecked. Um, families will live with the consequences of this evil for the rest of their lives. There are consequences to every action, every thought, every deed. They don't go unchecked. Everything we do has a ripple effect for good or for evil. The things that we do sometimes that we don't even think about that have influence and impact on people's lives. You think about the, the heart of a person that gets deceived and turned and somewhere along the line nobody has told them the truth of the power and the grace and the forgiveness and love of Jesus Christ. And you end up with presidents assassinated and children killed. And you end up with doctors performing abortions by the millions. Because nobody stepped in and said, there's a different way to look at life. Little thoughts planted in our education system by our news media that we think it just goes over people's heads but they begin to think certain ways and it has a ripple effect. It affects who they date, who they marry, how they live, the choices they make, the career that they choose. Now let's think about it on a positive term. What if we took all that we knew in this room right now and flapped our wings for the gospel? What force could be formed out of this room? What wind of the Spirit of God could blow across this room, this community, this region, and carry itself around the world if we just took what we know, what God has given us in His Word, the promises God has given to us, the truth that we know in our heads right now, what if we took that and did something with it? Would there be positive consequences? I think so. Amen. I think so. I think this would be a, a different community, 
a year from now than it is right now. Because you see, the little things that we do matter. The, the moments that we embrace and look for, those matter. Nothing is inconsequential. Nothing just happens by accident. We have to be in the ebb and flow of what God is trying to do through our lives so that he can use us for his glory and for the good of man. Acts chapter 1, Jesus said to the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. In chapter 2 and verse 47, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So let's look at the biblical example of a butterfly effect. Before Christ ascended into heaven, he said, you're going to be my witnesses. And so the person sitting in your seat today, that word is for you. Don't look at it as the word for the person next to you or behind you or in front of you. Jesus is saying to us, you are my witnesses. You are my evidence. You are the breathing, living credentials that the gospel is true, that Jesus Christ changes lives. And you need to take that message everywhere you go. You see, the city on a hill doesn't just sit and shine. It shines to push back darkness. Amen. It shines to put salt into a decaying society. The Spirit of God has empowered us. He's empowered the church to fulfill the commands of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the great evangelist. I meet people, and I've heard people say, and I've said, you know, I just don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism. I, I just don't think I've been properly trained. Listen, the Holy Spirit's the evangelist. All he wants is you full of Jesus telling people your story of how he's changed your life. In these coming days, parents will sit around in homes in Sandy Hook, Connecticut, and they will talk about how their little six and seven-year-old impacted their lives. They're not ashamed to talk about that. Why? Because it's their daughter, their son. As God's children put on this planet living and breathing witnesses, why should we be ashamed to sit around and talk about the Father and his love for us and his grace toward us? Because he has empowered us to do it. James A. Stewart said, the reason we are so bankrupt in power today is that we don't have the worldwide vision of carrying the gospel to every creature. On the day of Pentecost, ordinary people became extraordinary. I mean, you can't explain it any other way than God just got all over them and got all in them, and they could not help but speak of what God had done in their life. The promises were fulfilled. They, first of all, they had power for speaking. They had power for speaking. You know, you don't have to be an extrovert. You can have power for speaking the truth of the Word of God. We already know more than we're living up to. We need to speak about what God has. Has God ever answered a prayer for you? 
Has God ever stepped into a situation that seemed hopeless to you? Guess what? You're going to meet somebody this week that is in a hopeless situation. If God has stepped in and met you at a point like that, God's put you in their path for a reason. That you might be light. That you might be a witness. Acts chapter 1 the promises fulfilled, they go from 120 members to 3,120. And now we, we brag, and every year, I guess since 1980, uh, we've won the associational award for the most baptisms of any church in our association. So they give us a little piece of paper, and you know, we put it in our historical files. There's an, you know, and the reality is with 3,000 members, us baptizing 100 to 120 people a year is not all that hot because 88% of the people in the three counties we influence are lost and unchurched. In reality, it says that it is very easy for us if we're not intentional and purposeful to walk down the halls of our school, down the aisles of the stores we shop in, to talk to the same person at the cash register every week and never tell them about the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. Why do we do that? Where's our butterfly effect? We're afraid that they might be offended. Well, the gospel is offensive. The cross is offensive because it says I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a Savior, that I can't fix myself, that I can't save myself, that I can't do enough good works to please God, that I am void of any ability to make God happy other than just throwing myself on his mercy and asking for his forgiveness. Not only was there power for speaking, but there's a power that shakes us up. There's a power that shakes us up. Chapter 4 and verse 31, when they prayed, the place was shaken. Now, folks, I don't need to lecture you on this, but it is time for God's people to wake up. Amen. Mike Huckabee got slammed this week for saying one of the reasons for Sandy Hook is that we have taken the Bible and prayer out of school. Steve Ducey said on Fox News, he said, you know the one thing that was happening in Sandy Hook, Connecticut, Friday morning? Prayer. People were praying. Isn't it funny how it takes catastrophe to get us to pray? And we want to push God to the edges, and we want to push God to the extremes, and we don't want to hear about him, and we don't want nativity scenes, and we, don't want, we want to have a holiday season, not a Christmas season, isn't it funny how we push God away until we look and say, where's God when there's a crisis? We've taken prayer. We've taken the Bible out of our schools. You know, Huckabee said, I remember when I was going to school and we'd go hunting before school ever started and we'd have a pickup truck with a gun rack in the back and have two rifles in the back of our truck. We never thought about going in and using those rifles to kill anybody in our school. He said, there's something wrong with our culture. Can I tell you what's wrong with our culture? The church quit flapping its wings. We let the culture roll over us 
And we withdrew and hid, hoping that if we stayed silent, they would leave us alone. And it's time for us to get out and flap our wings and to use the power of the wind of the Holy Spirit to bring some changes to our society and to our culture. They're trying to confine the gospel inside the walls of the church to separate church from state. That was never the founder's intentions. Persecution is on the rise, but I'm all for Acts chapter 4 and verse 20. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. We are spiritual channels through which living water flows. We are salt in a decaying world. We are light in a dark world. The power to live like this is in the person of the Holy Spirit. You see it all through the book of Acts. Peter and John were full of the Spirit in Acts chapter 4. Stephen was full of the Spirit in Acts chapter 7. Philip was full of the Spirit in Acts chapter 8. Peter was full of the Spirit in Acts chapter 10. Barnabas and Saul were full of the Spirit in Acts chapter 13. Paul was full of the Spirit in Acts chapter 13 and verse 9. And what were they doing? They were witnessing. They were sharing the hope of the gospel. You see, we have bought the lie that the power of the Holy Spirit makes us have some ecstatic feeling. No, the power of the Holy Spirit equips us to do what God left us here to do. Amen. And that is to share the gospel. It has nothing to do with how we feel. I mean, you can jump as high as this building, but it's not how high you jump. It's how straight you walk when you land. Amen. You can roll up and down an aisle. You can bark like a dog. You can laugh. You can speak in some unknown tongue. You can do all that. The question I got is, who have you told about Jesus? Because all of that is nothing. It's all show. It's all emotionalism. When it gets down and dirty, it's going down and being the good Samaritan. It's going and touching people who are in need. It's going and caring for somebody. It's giving when you don't have anything left to give. It is doing that which is uncomfortable for you and for me because it's right to do it. It is putting our necks out on the line so that other people can hear good news. It is so that we can be the difference makers. Oh, how sad, how sad it would be if we go out and stand out in the hallway and show them pictures, everybody that comes and visits the church. Here's all the movies we've made. This is Eric Reese. He's the IMB poster child. Everything you see from IMB has Eric Reese's picture on it. But can I tell you something? If all we do is say what we've got going out there and we don't have anything to say about what we're doing here, we're no better than the Pharisees. We've sent people to do our work for us and God's left us here to do a work. We need to be about the business of what God has put us here to do. There's a biblical expectation. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now, I, I, grew up, I grew up in a church where the minister of music did this all the time. Remember those days? 
you know, and, and then he would do like this. <laughs> He'd do like that. And then you just thank God he was wearing a coat so you didn't see the armpit under that. You remember, remember those days? And, and, you know, you'd stand up and sing, send the light, the blessed gospel light, let it shine from shore to shore. And then the chorus go from shore to shore. <laughs> you know, we sang that song a lot in the church I was growing up in. I don't know if we ever sent any light. In fact, the church I grew up in, uh, we, had a, we had a light on top of the steeple that was supposed to imitate a lighthouse. And so it would just circle, and you could drive across the Pascagoula River and look off at about 2 o'clock, and you could see the steeple of our church sitting there in a little light every now and circling around. One guy thought it was a UFO. <laughs> but you see this light circling around. Can I tell you something? That church today has less than 20 people in it. They have a building that seats 1,000. They have no children. They have no young people. Somebody needs to take the light bulb out because they're not doing it. They're just pretending. They're sitting there holding the fort until Jesus comes back. And Jesus told us to storm the gates of hell. And we are not storming the gates of hell today. If we aren't careful... We could end up being a church that's a happy, holy huddle, and all of our kids are all dressed alike, and they all come, and we all know each other, and we feel good about each other, and we, you know, I know everybody here, and I know everybody in my Sunday school class. You, do you think those 120 knew all 3,000 of those people that came in those 10 minutes after Pentecost? You see, it was only a matter of months before most church historians say that the church of Jerusalem had spread to almost 100,000 members. Where's the butterfly wings? Where's the butterfly wings that this time next year those seats will be filled and those seats will have students in them that are not here today and these seats and we'll be looking for places to put people. Where are the butterfly wings? to do it until he comes back. The butterfly effect for Jesus was, I expect you to send ripples across this planet of my good news. It is the power of the sun that drives the butterfly effect in weather situations. Energy makes waves. It's the power of the Son of God that transforms people from light to be light, to be bigger light to be greater light, to be the light of the world. If you remember your Old Testament history, Pentecost was a harvest festival. It was a significant celebration for the Jewish people as they celebrated the giving of the Ten Commandments. God had shown up on Mount Sinai and given Moses the law and the covenant. Now hundreds of years later, the Spirit of God shows up with fire and with wind. And now the Word of God is not written on tablets but it is written on their hearts. There's a unique difference between Islam and Christianity. Islam is trying to spread its version of light to every culture. By the way, England announced this week that they will no longer recognize Hebrew as an official language. 
That, ladies and gentlemen, is a sign of a decaying world. They refuse to teach it anymore to Jewish children. So they're taking it out of their school system, while at the same time they're putting Sharia law into their government, which cannot coexist with any constitutional or parliamentary form of government, by the way. But here's how Islam does missions. They expect everyone to be the same. They expect you to act, to dress according to Arabic culture. And if you look at the Middle East, most Arabic culture is about 1,400 years behind developed civilizations. Every Muslim must learn to speak the Arabic language. They expect uniformity. They demean women. They expect cultural segregation. And they're on a mission plan to take over the world. The difference in Christianity is we go where people are and we try to learn their language. And we have people that translate. We have some folks out of that uh, we pray for on a consistent basis that are with Wycliffe Bible translators. We, we go and we learn a language, and then we find somebody that can translate that language, which may not even be a written language, into the New Testament so that we can give them the gospel in their own language. And when we go to do missions, when Eric is in Brazil, he's not saying, now listen, here's what you need to do. You, you need to be a Republican or a Democrat. And you need to dress a certain, and you, he's not trying to make Americans out of those people. He's trying to make believers out of them. We don't go and try to make them into Americans. And so when you go overseas, when you go to other cultures, they worship in different ways. They have different styles and methods. They have things that you might be uncomfortable with, but it fits their culture. And we don't say you have to give up your culture. You have to give up your language. You have to give up your style. You don't have to give all that up. You put Christ over all of it. Amen. You see, ours is not about conformity. Our missions is about transformation. Amen. It transforms people who have once worshipped pagan idols and bowed before demons who now raise their hands and praise God. Terry and, and Haley and Aaron and Bill were, were and uh, Ben McLeod and some other people were in South Africa. They're in a worship service, and, and this Zulu woman, fully dressed in her Zulu garb, just stands up and starts praising God. Now, if that happened in here, five of you would go get an usher and go, somebody needs to calm her down. She, she's just... First of all, that's, where did she buy those clothes? But if you ask my family, they will tell you it was pure, unadulterated worship of God. The beauty of the gospel message is it transcends culture. It transcends every language. And it brings people to a point of unity, not over the way they dress, not over their style of worship, not over which version of the Bible they use, but it brings them to a point of unity at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's where people become one. And when we flap our wings and when we let that message out, then we infuse Christ in the culture. 
and God is building a church. And the incredible thing is we get to be a part of that. I mean, can you believe that? Can you believe that you and I get to be a part working and cooperating with God? We get to be a part of reaching the nations for Christ. That's unbelievable. Listen, I grew up in Mississippi. The borders were open. I got out. I mean, I understand. When I think of my background and my heritage and where I am, and, and I think of what God has allowed me to see and do, I cannot believe that he saved me and allowed me to be a part of that. But he did it, and he's still doing it. Amen. So that, here's the good news, Revelation 7, 9. I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation in all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. <laughs> you realize that when we get there, nobody's going to feel awkward. We're all going to be saying salvation to our God because he's going to have brought us in from every tribe and tongue. There are 3,900 unreached people groups in the world today, which means there's a group of people of some race or ethnicity, some language group, maybe in a country or inside of a country, and they do not know there is no witness of the gospel with those people. Here we are, 2,000 years after the Great Commission, and there are 3,900 people groups that have never heard the gospel. We need to be doing something about that. Thirdly, biblical evangelism and missions. We're to go into all the world. According to church history, it's probable that more people were killed in the 20th century for their faith and all the other 19 combined. Russians have deported Christians, repression and imprisonment of Christians in China, the killing of Coptic Christians in Egypt, the killing of Christians in Muslim lands. It may shock us, but it shouldn't surprise us. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 9, then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many because lawlessness is increased. Most people's love will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Let me give you four enemies of missions. Really, it's not an enemy, but I'm going to list it as one anyway. Number one is persecution. It's an enemy of missions in America because we're afraid of persecution. It's not an enemy of missions in third world countries. 
It's not an issue of ministry in China or in Russia. It's not an enemy there. In fact, persecution is the friend of the church. The church has never grown and prospered in times of prosperity. And we wonder a great deal about what's going to happen with all of our, you know, what if they take away charitable giving and everything? Well, if the only reason you give is so you can get a write-off on your taxes, you have your reward already. I don't give because I get a tax deduction. I give because God's told me to give in his word. In fact, most weeks I will put cash in the plate that I never get credit for. Because it's not about what's recorded in the financial office. It's about me laying up treasures in heaven. Persecution. Secondly, apostasy. Verse 10. Backing away from the truth. Just compromising the truth. Number three, relativism. Verse 11. False prophets, many ways to God. And the fourth enemy of missions is apathy in verse 12. Lawlessness will increase. Now, let me ask you something. If there was any other way to get to heaven other than through the cross of Jesus Christ, why did God tell us it was the only way? Relativism, apostasy, all those things will say, well, there's got to be another way. Surely, you know, all dogs go to heaven and everybody goes to heaven, but they don't. Most of the people in this community will die and spend eternity in hell. Most of the people on your street, most of the people you meet when you go shopping, most of the people you go to school with will spend eternity without Christ unless we flap our wings. It's not our job to win the lost. It is our job to flap our wings and to let people hear the good news of Jesus Christ. When God gave us Meet the Need, He gave us and called us and reminded us that we have, first of all, a local mission. A local mission. We know about the Coke plant, but we also see that through SCA. We'll probably have 100 kids a year that come to Christ out of SCA. We have a uh, national mission. We're planting churches and we're investing in ministers and pastors, not only in our church plants in Cleveland and in Baltimore and in San Francisco, but in looking at other opportunities to help church planters. And now we've probably, over the 10 years of refresh, we've probably poured into 1,500 to 2,000 pastors from around this country to try to invest in them, infuse them with a vision of what it means to be walking with God in power and being what God put them there to be. Then we have global missions. Through our support with IMB, through our unreached people group, which is the nation of Cuba, through our unreached unengaged, which are the Dutch in Germany, through partnerships with American Leprosy Mission, with Samaritan's Purse, with Open Eyes, we are taking the gospel into the world. And by the way, I need to commend you In 2011, this church, because of your giving to the missions offering, which we give to every year, some of you give every week or every month to that, but in your giving to missions, 
In 2011, Sherwood Baptist Church was number 85 out of 44,000 Southern Baptist churches in America on giving and supporting Lottie Moon and foreign missions, and I commend you for it. Now, let's get in the top 50. Let's do more. Because this world is racing towards judgment. John 17, 18, Jesus said, As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Matthew 24, 14 says, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. It's geographic. It's the whole world. It's to all people group. It's to all nations. And by the way, that word nations in Matthew 24, 14, that word nations really means ethnicity. Ethnicity. You will go to all ethnic groups and preach the gospel. It has to do with impacting communities. Regardless of what they look like, how they dress, their social standing, their needs, their wants, their surplus, whatever it might be, that we are to go into all countries and communities to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I want to ask you a question. Are you going to walk out here and fold your wings? Are you going to go out and flap them? Will you do something this week that will bring a great positive impact to our culture and to our society? Or will you just fold your wings and just come and sit in church next Sunday? How will you respond to a lost world that is asking questions that wants to know answers, that needs hope. How will you and I respond to that world that needs the good news of Jesus Christ? Because it's on all of us to do it. Not just on the pastor and the staff to do it. It's on all of us to do it. Who will you invite or who have you invited to come tonight? We're going to share the gospel tonight at the end of the Christmas program. Who, who are you going to invite? You know, we quit doing the singing Christmas tree because I told the church one year I was tired of entertaining the alto section at First Baptist who we were all inviting all our friends and other churches to come hear our productions and see the kingdom and the singing Christmas tree. We just weren't inviting any lost people. And so if all we're going to do is entertain the saints, we can make a CD and y'all can listen to that driving back and forth to church. The problem with the church today is we think it's about us. And it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with Jesus Christ and what he has left us here to do. Today, before any of you walked into this building, men had gathered here to pray. And we went and we prayed over this youth section. There were men on their knees in this youth section over here. A group of men went down the preschool area and they prayed over every room in our preschool area. 
a group of men went and prayed over our children's area where we do Kids Rock in our children's building because it was a reminder to us that the devil wants this next generation. But it was a reminder to us we want them more. And I want this to be a place where every child from any tongue or any tribe or any background of life can walk into this building and be invited to come and sense the love of God the minute they get here. That they feel welcomed and wanted. Because if not, if we turn away from our responsibility, there is a force of evil that will flap its wings and destroy the next generation. We can't stand by and let that happen. Let's stand together. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.